Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're going to finish up 1 Peter today. We've been going through that for a few weeks now. And I've entitled this message, How to Stand Firm in a Fiery Trial. How to Stand Firm in a Fiery Trial. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 until the end. You know, I can still remember like it was yesterday, and it's been probably almost about 18 years now, the hardest trial of my life and in my ministry, Brother Don. Uh, it was at the church where I met my wife, Nancy. And um, after being there a few short years, uh, was uh, came on staff as associate pastor. About six months later, the senior pastor resigned to do mission work full time uh, with his blessing and with the, with the church sensing God's direction. They called me as their next senior pastor and life was good until it wasn't. A few months went by and the... Um, the um, <clears throat> Mission work that the former pastor had planned did not pan out. And all of a sudden, he kind of wanted to come back, but wasn't sure. And some people in the church kind of wanted him back too. And one Sunday morning, I will never forget, all of a sudden, wham, like division in the church, complete division. And uh, it was just uh, like spontaneous combustion. It just happened. And the discouragement that I felt, I had to pivot quickly I had to move from, why is this happening, to, Lord, what do you want me to do? And ultimately, the question that I prayed about is, God, how do you want me to respond? Because here's the thing. As you and I go through life, trials come. I've heard it said, you've probably heard it said as well, that all of us are in one of three phases right now. We are either in a trial right now, or we're coming out of a trial, or <laughs> we're about to go into a trial, we just don't know it yet. And uh, many times, you know, life is full of a series of trials. And ultimately, you have to pivot from, why is this happening to me, to, Lord, how do you want me to respond? That is the question you have to ask. And I had to make a conscious decision because a lot of people were looking to me for leadership and guidance. And I cried out to God many times. Uh, it was one of the worst moments of my life, but at the same time, it was one of the best moments of my life. How can I say that? Because when you are on your knees, flat on your face before God and say, God, my only option is you, that's the best place to be. And I began to cry out to God and I said, God, I need a word from you. How do you want me to respond? And he gave me a Bible verse. And I love it when that happens. He gave me a Bible verse. It became a source of encouragement to me, a source of strength to me. It became a, a point of, of prayer for me. It was found in 2 Corinthians 1.12. Paul, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, Corinth was a church with a, a lot of problems. They were divided four ways between four different leaders in the church. They took each other to court. There was idolatry. There was immorality. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on in the church at Corinth. And Paul, in his second letter that he wrote to them, in 2 Corinthians 1.12, he said, Indeed, this is our boast. And I thought, now wait a minute. How could Paul have a boast when he was dealing with so many problems? 
And he clarifies it. He says, this is our boast. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. And I can remember as I was going through that season of life, I was at our local association. I was sharing uh, one Monday morning with a fellowship of pastors. And then after it was over, I was sharing some more. And I said, you know what? God has given me to go through this. It's this Bible verse in, in, in the Corinthians where it says, not by man's wisdom, but by God's grace. And I can remember one of my fellow pastors. He says, you mean not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. And I said, no, not man's wisdom, but God's grace. That's what it says there in verse 12. It's kind of unexpected. You know, we expect a comparison. We expect a contrast. So if the first one is human wisdom or man's wisdom, you expect to hear God's wisdom. But Paul says it's God's grace. In other words, here's how I want you to respond. You look at how I'm gracious to you. I want you to reciprocate that grace toward other people. Well, that is something that I think uh, stuck with me. I believe it stuck with Paul, and you're going to see here in a few moments, I believe it stuck with Peter too, because if you remember one of the hardest moments, uh, one of the lowest moments in Peter's life is when he denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times. What did Jesus ultimately do when he rose from the, the dead? He, he appeared to Peter. And then when he appeared to Peter and the disciples in their presence, he begins to restore Peter to fellowship and, and service when he asked Peter the same question, do you love me? Not once, not twice, but three times. There, that was not a coincidence. And so Peter, he's been talking in his letter here of five chapters, he's been talking about a scattered people. He's been talking to a suffering, persecuted people. And now he begins to sign off in this letter by wrapping it up. And he closes with a few things. He closes with a call to arms. There in 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 6, a call to arms. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Clearly, Peter was giving a call to arms. Then he points to prayer in verse 10. The God of all grace, there's that word again, grace, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. He has a call to arms. He has a prayer. And now He reminds them of why He wrote them. In verse 12, Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. Did you just see that? Peter says, I've written this letter to encourage you 
and this, and to testify that this is the true grace of God, and I want you to stand firm in what? That grace. Okay? That grace. And then he has final greetings there in verse 13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Uh, many others talk about a holy kiss. He calls it a kiss of love. You know, I had an opportunity years ago to uh, host a missionary from Ethiopia, you know, and customs are different throughout the world, right? And this brother missionary from Ethiopia, as soon as he sees me, he comes in the building, he sees me, and he grabs me by the shoulders like this, okay? I'm like, he's got his hands on my shoulders. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And he leans over here and kisses over here, and he leans over here and kisses over here, and I'm like, whew, I'm glad that's over, right? Just not used to that. You know, handshake will do. Uh, But um, it's a customary uh, form of greeting in some parts of the the world, and that's what, what that is about. And so you look at the things that Peter mentions here as he signs off and closes this letter. And I go back to the, uh, the purpose is this. How do we stand firm in a fiery trial? And I want to give you four things that I believe that ties this letter together that helps you and I stand firm in a fiery trial. Number one, humbly depend on God. Humbly depend on God. There in verse 6, chapter 5, humble yourselves, he says, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Now notice that we are to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. He can exalt us whenever he wants, but just know that you can cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. It's a lot easier for me as a child of God to humble myself before God when I know that not only is He God and Lord, but He cares about me. He has my best interest in heart and in mind. You know, as I was reading and preparing for this message this week, I read a quote from a commentary that hit me right between the eyes. It said, Worry constitutes pride since it denies the care of a sovereign God. And when I read that, I went, wow. In other words, when I waste my time and energy worrying, um, I am denying the fact that I need to humble myself before God because He cares about me. And worrying can't change anything. It It doesn't help the cause at all. But if I'll simply trust God. I'm reminded of James 1. James, the, Lord brother, the Lord's brother, he became a believer after the resurrection of Jesus. And he talked about trials. And here's what he said. He said, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, God has a plan when we go through a trial. God has a purpose that He can use the trial for our good and His glory. So work with God through the process and you won't lack anything. But, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. 
For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. When G. Campbell Morgan was a young man, he visited two older ladies each week to read the Bible to them. And one day he was there visiting with them and he read Matthew 28, 20, the end of the Great Commission where it says, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age or the end of the world. And he said, isn't that a wonderful promise? And one of the ladies quickly replied, young man, that's not a promise, it's a fact. You know, all of God's promises are facts, aren't they? If you really think about it, God is able to do what He says He will do. In that sense, all of God's promises are fact. And that's why you and I need to humble ourselves and depend on God. I have learned through the years that I can humble myself and I can depend on God and I can cast my cares on Him. Why? Because He cares about me. And that makes all the difference. How else do you stand in a fiery trial? Well, you humbly depend on God and you resist the devil. Just because you know that God's at work in the situation, just because you know the God that will work in you and through you in the situation, you have to realize there are dangers. You have to be aware that there are threats and you have to resist the devil. That's why Peter said there in verse 8, be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Who better than Peter to know this? Think about Peter Think about his time with Jesus when Jesus was on on the earth doing his ministry. Uh, One time, you know, Jesus asked the twelve, he says, uh, what do other people say about me? And they started sharing the things they had heard. And then he looks at them eyeball to eyeball and he says, what do you say about me? They all got quiet. Peter being the spokesman of the group, he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And at that point, Jesus commends Peter and says, you know what, you didn't say that on your own. He says, but my Father in heaven has revealed that to you, right? And then not long after that conversation, Jesus begins to share more about what God's plan is for his life, how he's going to be handed over uh, to the hands of men, and he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to you know, die, but on the third day he will rise again. And as soon as the twelve hear this, Peter, again, being the spokesman from the group, says, Oh no, Lord, no, no, no. And you know what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. And so Jesus had to speak to Peter a couple of times, and there were times when he revealed that the truth and the words that Peter was sharing came straight from God and he affirmed that and then there were moments when Peter got it wrong and Jesus called him out and said get thee behind me Satan you only have the things of men in mind and not the things of God and so Peter is saying look I'm speaking from experience I want you to know that when you're in a trial you need to be aware that the devil is always looking 
always looking for an opportunity to get in your life and wreak havoc. Even when Peter, being in the inner circle of Jesus, remember there was Peter, James, and John, and those three were always with Jesus. There were a few experiences that they had with Jesus that no one else had. They were there when Jesus went into a home where parents had lost their dying daughter and and everybody was mourning. And he goes into the room where the girl lay and it's just mom and dad and the dead daughter and Jesus and Peter, James, and John. And they see him raise her up from the dead. Peter, James, and John, they were the only three there one time when Jesus was on a mountain. And in their presence, he was transfigured and they began to see a glimpse of him in his glory. There are certain experiences that the inner circle disciples, Peter, James, and John, had. And when Jesus, the night he was betrayed, when they went to the garden to pray, and he went a little bit further off and he took Peter, and James, and John with him, and he says, won't you stay and watch one hour and pray with me? And he went and prayed, and he came back, and he went and prayed. He prayed three different times. Father, if it be your will, you know, let this cup pass for me, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. He knew that the cross was imminent. And when he comes back, they're asleep. Peter, James, and John, they're asleep. And he said, you know, the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter, of all people, he knew that the devil is always lurking around and he's looking for an opportunity to discourage you, to defeat you, and ultimately to destroy you. And so Peter says, it's great for you to humbly depend on God, but just know and be aware that you still got to resist the devil. You've got to be aware because he will come around. And when he comes around, you got to be alert You've got to be prepared and you've got to resist him. You've got to be firm in your faith, knowing that you're not, you know, you're not going through anything that anyone else hasn't gone through. Think about the history of humanity. We've all had moments where we've been tempted. We've all had moments when we have been weak. We all have moments where the devil tries to target us and and and, and get us. And he says, listen, resist him. Peter was sifted. I remember when when Jesus told Peter in Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times that you know me. I believe that Peter remembered that time when he was sifted like wheat. But please understand, the devil has to go through God to get to you. God is always greater than the devil. And every time in the Bible when God allows the devil to try to do something to someone, he has to get permission from God. You see it in the the book of Job. You see it here in Peter's life. Realize that to stand firm in the trial, humbly depend on God, and resist the devil. And the third thing is realize you are not alone. There in 1 Peter 5, 9, 
it says, resist the devil, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes we think it's just us. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen, right? Nobody's gone through what I've gone through or you've gone through. And yet we forget that it's common to humanity. And we need to be reminded that we are not alone. In 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. That's that fiery trial that I was talking about. Peter's saying, don't be surprised when it happens. Because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, because you're following Christ in a fallen world, there's going to be some moments in your life, there's going to be some times in your life, there's going to be trials in your life when you should say to yourself, don't be surprised, this happens to every believer it's not unusual. Jesus said, if they persecute me, guess what? They're going to persecute you. But what I want you to realize here is the importance of relationships. That's why I recommend one of the things we're doing here at Pleasant Hill, and that is disciple groups. You know, I went a few months, actually, I guess over a year, without a disciple group. I had already took one through. Life gets hectic. Everybody's doing one. And it seems like every time I thought about uh, planning one, something happened, and then I would pray, who do I ask? And, and I want to tell you something. Now I'm in a disciple group again, and I want to tell you, it's, it's good. We all need that uh, time and space and place where we can meet with other like-minded people that are seeking God, that are trusting God, they're reading their Bibles, they're praying, and when we come together, we're sharing what God is doing in each other's lives we're encouraging one another. We're challenging one another. You and I need that relationship. Do you have someone like that in your life? Do you have a few someones like that in your life? Someone called them 3 a.m. friends. Someone you can call at 3 in, 3 in the morning that you're not you know, flesh and blood kin to, and they would be there to pray with you and walk with you through whatever you're going through. I do believe that we need that kind of... Uh, reminder and that kind of relationship how do we stand firm in a fiery trial we humbly depend on God we resist the devil and we realize that we're not alone and the last thing remember that God's grace is at work in you I love this one there in verse 10 his prayer as he begins to wind up this letter is the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. Now, if you think about it, that's not just a prayer. Yes, it's a prayer, and he's praying it for us, but that's also an experienced prayer. That's a testimony prayer. Peter's speaking from experience. Peter is saying, the God that I know is the God of all grace. And He's called us to glory in Christ. And He Himself restored me. He Himself established me. He strengthened me. He supported me after I suffered a little while. After I blew it. 
And that same God, He can do it for you too. And so I want you to realize, as Al Howard, I Howard Marshall said, he said, it may be hair-splitting to distinguish the senses of the various verbs in this prayer. They're piled up rhetorically to emphasize that God will strengthen us in every way to face up to the persecution, which is the fiery trial that this scattered group of suffering believers was going through. And it reminds me of what Paul would say in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. The hope uh, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I love that passage in Romans 5. He says, look, we have peace with God. We have been made righteous by faith. And now we stand in this grace. And we rejoice at the glory that's going to be revealed. And now we're not disappointed because what God is doing in this situation and through our lives is perfecting us, making us more like Him. And that produces hope. And everybody needs hope. It reminds me of what Peter said at the beginning of this letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He compares what we're going through to gold that's being purified in the fire. And can I tell you, God is more concerned about you than He is gold. God uses the trials that you and I go through to purify us and make us more dependent on Him and make us more like Him. And as a result, once we've gone through the fire, once we've gone through the fiery trial, we too can stand in the grace that He's given us and we can rejoice in the glory to be revealed. And that gives you and me hope and it gives us a testimony in this world. It reminds me of one more verse. Paul to the church in Corinth in his second letter, verse 4 uh, chapter 4, verse 17 said, Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolute, incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Wow. You know, just to give you a Paul Harvey moment, the rest of the story, I went on and I survived that trial in my ministry. I, I, I learned to depend on God and love people and let the chips fall where they may. And ended up being there for a long time. And then on my last Sunday there, before God led us to the next place, I can remember standing up and preaching my last sermon. And you know what my sermon was called? 
how God can use your gripe for His glory. And I began to talk about grievances that you can have in life and you can either hold on to your gripe or you can let God have the glory. And it was just one of those surreal moments where I realized that day when I laid my head down on the pillow that night that had not God given me that word in 1 Corinthians about not the wisdom of man but the grace of God, had not I stood faithful in the midst of the trial and and stood in God's grace and rejoiced at the glory to be revealed someday and, and be thankful for the hope that He was working in me in spite of the problems, in spite of the trials. He was working in me, making me more dependent on Him and more like Him, I realized that day, I said, had I not done that, I couldn't have preached that message that whatever your gripe is can be His glory. And then I realized, you know, you and I, every test that we go through can be a testimony. It can. Every test that you and I go through can ultimately a testimony of, hey, here's what happened in my life. It brought me to my knees. I learned to humble myself before God. I I, I learned to resist the devil. I I realized I'm not the only one that goes through these things. And I began to realize that uh, I can stand in in the grace that God is at work in my life. And guess what? That's enough. That's enough. And at the end of the day, God can take your gripe and it can become your glory. He can take that test and it can become a testimony. He can take that mess and it can become a message. And so I want to encourage you today, whether you're in a trial or you're coming out of a trial or, Lord forbid, you're about to go into a trial and you don't know it, you have a conscious choice. You have to pivot from why is this happening to, Lord, how do you want me to respond? And you can humble yourself before Him and fully depend on Him. You can resist what the devil's trying to do in you and around you. You can remember that, hey, you're not the only one going through things like this, such as life. And you can remember that God's grace is at work. And that's enough. I want to encourage you today. Maybe right now this is speaking to you. You know, this God of all grace in which we stand, He loves you and He loves me. You know, you've heard me share this story many times, but it's one of my favorite stories that Jesus shared about two men went to the temple to pray. And one man, he kind of looked around and he told God all the good things he did and he says, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And then the other guy that he pointed to, he had come to church that day and he was so broken he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his chest and all he could say is, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus basically said, which prayer did God answer that day? And if you said the second guy, you were right. The other guy was talking to God about himself and his prayers hit the ceiling and bounced off, you might say. But this guy over here was broken. He knew who was God. He knew he was a sinner. And he desperately cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. Today, maybe God is speaking to you. Maybe you've been through the hard knocks of life, but maybe you've never, ever, ever considered that you need the grace of God. That God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever uh, 
believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I want to encourage you today. If you've never took that step to trust and follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to ask you to stand. I want to ask the musicians and the ushers to come. We are consolidating some moments in our service to the end. Why? Because I want you to understand that God is calling us to respond to Him. I'll say that again. God is calling us to respond to Him. In your bulletin, you saw a card. It's our Next Steps card. And I want to encourage you to use this. And here in a moment, we're fixing to pray, sing, and bring. We're going to pray, we're going to sing, and we're going to bring our tithe and offerings. That's what the ushers are for. But it's not just about the offering. It's about all of our lives, offering ourselves to God. Uh, this altar is open. If you want to come and pray, I want to encourage you to come and pray. If you are ready to take that next step publicly, then you come on down. I'll pray with you. We'll rejoice in your decision to follow Jesus Christ. If you've been thinking about things for a while and you'd like to have a conversation with us, then please fill out this Next Steps card. It'll come straight to me, and it'll let me know that you're ready to start a conversation about either learning to become a Christian, become baptized, join a Sunday school class, become a church member, join a disciple group, or serve on a ministry team, whatever that next step is that God's calling you to do. So here in a moment, we're going to pray, sing, and bring, and I just ask that you will do what God's called you to do. If you fill this card out, you can drop it in the, the, the thing as the ushers bring it by, or you can put it in the drop box in the back or at the Welcome Center. If you don't have one of these and you want one, we have some extras at the drop boxes in the back and the Welcome Center. But whatever God's asking you to do, I want to encourage you to do it as we pray. Father, we come before you right now. Lord, we've sang and we've heard your word. And Lord, now you're calling us to respond. So Father, I pray right now, each and every one of us will praise you and pray to you, Father, and humble ourselves before you right now. Lord, I pray that we can sing your praises because you are a good God, and Lord, you're worthy to be praised. But Lord, I also pray that we'll bring whatever it is we need to bring to you today. For some of us, Lord, it may be an offering, and we just simply give it back to you because you've blessed us so much. Lord, for some of us, it might be a burden, Lord, and you're calling us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, I pray right now that we'll not be content just to give stuff, but Lord, I pray that we'll give ourselves. Have your will and your way in this service, Lord, and then in this invitation, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.